In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So would you please do me a favor? Can you go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, podsurvey.com slash Jamie, and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. You guys, you can buy a lot of great things on Amazon for $100. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's pod, P-O-D, survey.com slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. Guys, thanks for your help. Go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, welcome to the happy hour. I am your host, Jamie, and we are here with our final episode of our boundary series. We started last week talking with boundaries with Lisa Turkhurst. We talked with Tracy and Heath and Joey about boundaries around technology with our kids and our families. And today we have another episode around boundaries with Jim Cress. I was uh, introduced to Jim through our friend, Lisa Turkhurst. They do a lot of work together. And then we got to spend some time together this summer on the cruise. Lisa and I talked about that a little bit. And so I wanted to have Jim come on and talk about boundaries within a marriage. And if you're thinking, Jamie, what are boundaries within a marriage? What does that even mean? Well, we answer that for you today. And it's not just the big things. It's also the little things. I think listening to Jim and also like Dr. Allison Cook talk about how important it is to deal with our own stuff, like our own emotions, our own um, past, our own trauma. It really helps us when we're developing healthy boundaries within relationships. And you're going to get a a piece of that today. I want to give a little bit of a warning. We talk about some sexual things, which if you're a grown up, please stick in and listen. But if you got little ears in the car, you might want to monitor the conversation first. We talk about pornography, um, sex addiction, things like that. One of the things I asked Jim in here is about pornography and parents, like when a parent finds out that their child is watching pornography. And so I think that that is really helpful. And I wanted to give you a little tip here is that if you're interested in more conversations about parenting around sexuality, I have another podcast that I co-host with my friend Lisa Whittle, and it's called Launch. And right now, season one is already finished, but you can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Go find that podcast called Launch with Jamie Ivey and Lisa Whittle. We have one of our episodes is all about sexuality. And so we talk about some of the things that Jim and I talked about today throughout that whole episode. The cool thing about those podcasts on launch is at the end, we bring on an expert. And at the end of that episode, Preston Sprinkle uh, joined me and he put in his wise wisdom for parents around sexuality. And spoiler alert, Preston's coming back to talk with me about things about sexuality on the launch podcast. So if you're not listening to that or subscribe to it, I highly recommend you go do that as soon as possible. Jim is a phenomenal teacher, great wisdom on God's word and boundaries and why they matter. And I think my hope for you in these two weeks is as we talk about boundaries, it can feel like a scary word, especially for those of us who grew up in church or in church. And my prayer and my hope as you've listened to Tracy and and the guys and Jim and Allison and Lisa, that all of them have said throughout it is that boundaries are actually a good thing. And so 
I hope that you hear that again today. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I also want to give a shout out. I know he'll never hear it. Maybe when he's older and he goes back to the archives to find out what his mom was doing when he was in high school. But happy birthday to my son, Deacon. Happy, happy birthday to you today. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with Jim Cress. Jim, welcome to the happy hour. Oh, man, this is my first happy hour in a long time. Uh, I'm hoping, I don't know exactly what you do in the happy hour, but I guess I'm about to find out. (laughs) Well, listen, Jim, if this is your first happy hour in a long time, I'm glad that it is with us at the happy hour. Do you want to know why I named the show the happy hour? I would love to know. It would change my life, actually. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you asked. (laughs) You didn't ask, but I will tell you. When I started thinking about what kind of show I wanted to make, um, I started to think I want to have a show that it's conversations like I would have at a happy hour with girlfriends, Yeah, which is why for the first, I mean, five years of the show, I didn't interview men. I don't know if you knew that. I, I didn't interview men. I didn't men. know that either. Wow. Yeah. And so I just thought, who am I going to happy hour with these days? It's my friends, my girlfriends. And so I wanted to make a show for girls, with girls. And so I, would, I know when I go to a happy hour, we might start talking about a new show we're liking, how the kids are, but it is going to dive deep. How are you going? What have you learned? All the things. And so that's how the happy hour came about. Wow. I like it. It sounds like a pretty safe happy hour that I won't come away disoriented or inebriated, except inebriated <laughs> with good, positive thoughts, right? You know what? That is what we're going for. That's, that's going to be my new tagline. We will inebriate you with good, positive yeah. thoughts. <laughs> and reality, right? We're going to talk real And here. reality. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. We need to have a good view of reality. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you know this about me either. I just feel like I'm just giving you all my fun facts. Did you know I was in radio for a hot second? You told me that, remember? On the cruise. Yes. Oh, I told you that on the cruise. Yeah. Okay. So would you tell everyone, because you were like, I told you before we started, I feel like I'm in like radio masterville. So tell us your experience with radio. Oh, wow. I got started in college 30, 40 years ago and devoured everything I could do in radio. I was a news anchor, news reporter, sports reporter, uh, then began to work for Moody Bible Institute and their broadcasting network, and then moved into hosting. There was a show called the Minrith Meyer Clinic. It lives on in New Life Live right now with Steve Arterburn. And it was a call-in nationwide talk show. So I did a lot of that. And a lady named June Hunt did a show with her for 20 years called Hope in the Night that she continues to do on. And uh, mainly morphed into doing call-in counseling radio. Then eventually went, I went to Dallas Seminary. Then after that, I went and got a master's in counseling. And now I'm still doing a broadcast, which is, I do have a podcast that you know about with Lisa Turkhurst, me, her, and Joel, therapy and theology. But I sit in my office my work at OnSite, this other place, and I interview people. I'm still interviewing people. It's just in counseling offices, and I love the stories of people's lives. So I'm still interviewing people. It's just not for broadcast. I love hearing that story. Do you have a broadcasting voice, or do you sound just the same? It all depends. I mean, if I were, uh, when I was doing the news, I would say, USA Radio Network News. I'm Jim Press. President Biden today. Okay, and I would have. I'm not faking it. I'm just <laughs> yeah. announcing no, 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 yeah. all like that. But and if I did voiceover work, I mean, you're really asking me this stuff. Then I would try to do whatever the producer wanted me to. I just did my part of the audiobook of Lisa Turkhurst's new book, um, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, and I'm just me on it. So I'm. This is me in my normal voice. I have found as I got older, my voice, and I don't like this, Jamie my voice is losing some of its bass resonance. A good oh. microphone like you're on, because I'm not on that good mic, <laughs> yeah. out through limiting and processing the deeper bass qualities, but this is me. 
Well, it's funny. When I was in radio all those years ago for the shortest moment ever, the co-host, the guy who ran the show, is he's an Austin legend, and he still uh, broadcasts the home Texas games, not on the radio, but into the stadium. So oh, yeah. I wouldn't call it broadcasting, but he's the voice of the Texas yeah. Longhorns. And I'm telling you, when I walk into that stadium and I hear him, it feels like <laughs> when you are in high school and you've got a coach and that voice, you'll never forget it. That's how I feel every time I hear Bob Cole at the University of Texas is like, I'll never forget that voice. And I only worked beside him, you know, an arm's length away for four months. Yeah. But he just has that voice. And so it's kind of interesting. Legend. But a Longhorn legend. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, we are not here to talk about radio, Longhorn legends, or voices. We are talking about boundaries. And you are our final episode of Boundaries. And the reason I brought you on this show, and I'm super just honored to have you and excited, is I was introduced to you. Uh, through Lisa's book, honestly, I read it uh, in the spring, and we got to spend some time together on a cruise yep. uh, with Lisa and a bunch of other people going through Alaska. And I really, really enjoyed um, your work there, as I've already enjoyed the work that I had consumed mm-hmm. before I knew you. And so, uh, first of all, give us your credentials, because I-, I want everyone to know where you're coming from with these conversations yeah. as well. Well, you know, where do you start, right? I mean, I'm a father of three two of which are married, sons are married. I'm a grandfather now of four. My biggest credential, Jessica and I have been married 30, almost 38 years. Uh, we spent eight years in Dallas, Texas in counseling, never missed a week. So we say we've done our work and we continue to do our work. So to work on our own lives, I am a licensed professional counselor and a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Uh, those are two different titles. Um, I do a lot of work around pornography and infidelity because it's so rampant in the church called a certified sex addiction therapist, which scares some people, but it's just, I try to help people, you know, captives get set free, uh, ordained as a pastor, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, graduated with a master's there. So I, I love our, uh, our podcast of therapy and theology. We get to bring in the mm-hmm. therapy side and the theology side, and that's a little bit about me. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. When I knew I wanted to talk with Lisa about her book, which I just highly recommend, I've been recommending it for months since I even read it, and I'm excited about the launch of that. And by the time you're listening, I think the book's already come out, guys. So, And I knew I wanted to have you come on. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, which 
felt a little weird with boundaries. I was talking to Aaron about it last night and I was like, how do you have conversations about boundaries within marriage? Because there is this weird feeling of like boundaries. What? You're trying to keep me out. Like we're together. We're one. We need boundaries. And I remember you talking on the cruise about pornography and I'm, I'm grateful that you're talking about it. We don't shy away from talking about it over at the happy hour. And it is so rampant within marriages and within the church. And so I want to hear from you. First of all, are boundaries within a marriage healthy? Let's start there. And then I would like to dive into some of the reasons why those boundaries might exist. Well, um, it's not as our friend Lisa says, it's not just a good thing to have boundaries in a marriage. It's a God thing. So you got Hebrews 13, four, right? And I don't say this judgingly, but God said yeah. marriage bed through the writer of Hebrews, the marriage bed is undefiled. And he said, I will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. Um, so that piece is God takes it pretty serious. There's not just a contract in a marriage, in a marriage, but a, a covenant, literally, that's there. It's mm-hmm. deeper and richer and fuller than a, than a contract. Boundaries are together to keep you safe. They're not to manage the other person. I'm boundarying that person. Nope. Um, that's um, that's not what I do. I'm keeping myself safe with these things. Like if you're not going to keep me safe in this marriage, I'll keep myself safe. And guess what? When I do that. That's really agape love, because if I allow you to, I'm going to use a word here, in the happy hour, if I allow you to sin against me and do something harmful, and I don't stop it and say that I'm not okay with that, and I co-sign it, then I've actually not loved you well by allowing, I'm a co-conspirator to your crime against me. So boundaries are organic. They're all over the Bible. We're a nation of laws. We go right down the line. So they're not just something that is necessary. They're crucial to keep the container, the very holy uh, sanctuary of a marriage to keep that marriage as safe as possible because the world, the flesh, and the devil are out there to attack and destroy marriages. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know this because you were were uh, very close with Lisa on this project. And when I talked with her about this, one of the things that we talked about was how marriages within, I mean, uh, boundaries within a marriage for specifically women, I would love to hear your opinion from a man because Lisa and I, we were talking about it from a woman's standpoint, can feel like Am I allowed to do this? Is this Christian-like to set up boundaries? And for what you just said and what she said before, is like protect myself. Do men struggle with that? And and why do you think that's such a hard thing for us as followers of Jesus to think, oh, we need to do this for ourselves? Because it feels unchristlike to a lot of people. Well, some people have tagged, I'll answer that the way I feel. Some people have, have tagged Jesus as being a total codependent because he laid down his life he had all the uh, power and he didn't use it. No, he laid right. down his life. He, that's not codependency. For a lot of guys, you ask me, so I get to answer my answer. Mm-hmm. There's so many men carrying shame. And I say S-H-A-M-E. Shame stands for self-hatred at my expense. Shame. I hate mm. myself and it costs me a lot. So inside is a guy can feel like I have no boundaries Maybe they grew up in a home with either, most people grew up in a home with either somewhat loose boundaries, too loose, or rigid, strict boundaries that were too strict. And so a guy may feel like, really, do I have the right to have a boundary? Or he's far more focused on, quote, which can't happen. He's boundarying his wife. You must give mm-hmm. me sex. You better do this. You better do that. And you need to, men have, even in the church, have overused this submit thing. Sorry, I right. went there. But, you know, it's like, you I love obey it. and bid. And it's like, so we men can, at times, we're, we don't, some of us would know a boundary if it hit us upside the head. So I think the mm-hmm. idea of looking at an, a toxic view of what love is, of what intimacy is, and, and, and what is a boundary? I see the boundary, as people say, as punishment, and you're trying to control me. 
No, a manipulating, controlling person, an unhealthy person has never met a boundary they like. You're controlling me. No, I'm actually controlling me. I'm keeping wow. myself safe. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So, J- Jim, as you're talking, I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, this must be for the people who are in like, like this is like severe, toxic relationships. H- how do you like, if you think about you and Jessica or, or you and me and Aaron, what does that look like for us if we're like, oh, we're trying really hard to love each other? What does a boundary look like then? I'm just trying to wrap my brain around that. Yeah. I love it, Jamie. I go for the small stuff, not the, the big stuff. Okay. I mean, these giant big boundaries. The average person is going to know that you ought not be unfaithful to your spouse. The average right. person is going to know you ought not smack your spouse. You ought not do I go for the smaller ones like, you know what? I've kind of said to you, this is in my own marriage. My wife says, hey, when I go up into that bedroom at night and I'm going to read because I could just hit, you know, hit, get the CPAP machine on and, and, and I'm out. And she yeah. would say, don't bring drama, bring up here. If I'm going to read, go up to bed, say 930 and I'm going to read. That's a sacred time. And I used to go, well, well no, let's talk there. You know, I'm an yeah. Enneagram 7 talker. And so part of that's a small boundary that I look and she says, she's not rejecting me. She's not harming me. She says, this is my space that I need to do self-care that I might go to sleep. And sleep now is at the bottom of the pyramid for health and self-care, not diet and exercise. If you study it, she says, I need yeah. my restorative sleep to be the best me I can be. So that's a small boundary, or it may be. That's good. I tell people, don't say, we're not having this conversation. Say, I'm not having this conversation right now. I don't have it to give. I'll talk about it later or only in front of a counselor. Or mm-hmm. somebody says, but I just want you to watch adventure movies with me or a chick flick or slasher yeah. films. or who, People watch all kind, kinds of movies. And someone says, my boundary is not judging you, but I don't have it to give. I'm not going to watch that genre because I don't want to without judging you. Small Mm -hmm. little boundaries happens in sexual arena, sexual appetites, whatever. And someone says, if you're looking at porn, which we've referenced, I'm not going to be sexual with you in the marriage because what porn does to wire a man's brain or a guy says, I want sex seven times a week. Or maybe the wife says it and the person Mm -hmm. says, this is all I have to give. I think it's far nuanced to smaller little boundaries that are there. The big ones are just easy to see. I love that so much, and I'm so grateful that we talked about that because yeah. for so many people can go like, well, I don't need to think about this because like we're not sleeping around, we're not hitting each other, we're kind to each other, but it's so good. And I think about so many times for, for that for your wife to talk and set that boundary, she also, like you have mentioned before, has to know to be able to say like, this is what I need right now. And within our relationship, it's a safe place for me to say that yeah. because I know that Jim is going to respond in a safe way. So my question now is like, what if someone is like, you know what? I'm really working on this. I, I want to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I want to make boundaries for myself. And it's not being respected. It's not being reciprocated. What is your advice to that person who's trying so hard Use the bed example again. Like I, I've said, this is how I replenish myself, and it's not it's not being taken seriously. So I'll go kind of 30,000 feet and come down if I may. Jesus, love your neighbor. Listen, just like you love yourself. So you have permission, everyone listening, to start doing self-love, agape in Greek, the self-love, seek my proper highest good. I want to love myself so well so that I might love you well. And so self-care is your responsibility before we get to the boundary which I am, maybe I go to a counselor, read Jamie's books, talk with Jamie, being like with a coach, something, and I say, oh, because of my past, I may not know how to give myself permission to have these boundaries. I mean, it's really mm. okay to have a voice, not just have a voice, 
but use your voice and say, yeah. no is a complete sentence or thank you for saying and asking that. That doesn't work for me. Now, a boundary without a consequence, I've said, is a mere suggestion. So you have to have the consequence. You know what? I'm lying in bed here and this is my sacred time. If you come up and talk with me, here comes the inconvenience, Jamie. That <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave. I don't know what it means. I mean, I'm going to go down to the car or to the table. And if you, persi you persist with it, I'm going to try to find us a counselor and say, this person keeps violating my boundary. You might say, I want you to know, especially from more of a Christian perspective, honey, this is not going to help me in our relationship want to be with you sexually or romantically or just in a, a relationship if I put up a boundary and you're violating it. Now, I'm not rejecting mm -hmm. you. I'm saying this is my sacred space. And oh, by the way, I want to honor your sacred space. The consequence yeah. has to be there. And because the person, you know, you're saying, don't come up here while I'm reading, and they come up. Don't come up while I'm reading. So we're training people how to treat us. Watch this. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it mean. But you have to put some. I love that. People say, I'm not getting out of my bed. I go, I get it. Uh, but that's my right. And I go, then let them come interrupt it. But you have to, it's cool. Boundaries require grief to say, then really. And often a person says, well, I guess I'll just run them out of the bedroom. And then you can decide where you go from there. But some yeah. people just don't believe your boundary. They're going, well, why can't I come up here and read? Because mm -hmm. I said so. I need my space. Yeah. A lot of the moms are listening there right now, and they're like, so how does this apply to my five-year-old at night getting out of that bed a lot? That is different, because they're not adults. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I get that, and you do all you no can. No boundaries there, yeah. Yeah, good luck. You know, Jim, we talked about the small stuff, and I think you we've talked about pornography already, and any time I ever have a conversation about pornography, and I, I would imagine this is the same for you, people come out of like the woodwork saying, oh my gosh, me too. In my very first book that I ever wrote, I literally wrote about pornography, a struggle of mine that I had years ago that I fought that I, it was like 25 years ago. Right. I'm writing about it. I have zero shame over it. All the things. It was two paragraphs in an entire book. Almost all the time, I would get women come up to me and say, thank you so much for chapter nine. Like, thank you so much for saying that. And so it is a problem. Maybe we could say an epidemic. I would trust you on that as I well. I call it a porn-demic. It is. We're in a mental health pandemic right now, a COVID pandemic. I don't care when they hear the podcast. We're not out of it yet. We're in a mental health pandemic, and we're in a porn-demic. It is higher now because the biggest trigger for a lot of people in porn, especially guys, a lot of women in it too, is boredom. And I'm mm. fearing, where do we go in a pandemic and what's going on? The many neurochemical processes released when someone's looking at porn, we have evidence of it from functional MRI studies. It is numbing people out on demand. It's accessible. It's anonymous. It's affordable. And it's accelerated. It all makes mm. sense from a numbing out mentality. Porn-demic. Okay, so we're in the middle of a porn-demic. And so I want to talk a little bit about yeah. marriages. I wouldn't say that everyone that listens to my show is a married person, right. but they probably know someone who is married, you yeah. know? And so let's talk a little bit about Pornography within a marriage. I think that I would love to hear from you as as a professional, but then I would love for you just as a pastor as well. Like this is like a lot of church people are afraid to say this out loud yeah. because it is it can be embarrassing, all the things that yeah. a lot of stigma to it. So let's talk about boundaries in pornography. What do you want to know? You 
Well, I <laughs> well, uh, I want to know. A lot of people don't know what to do That's when they so find true. out that their spouse yeah. um, has been watching pornography. A lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, what's wrong with me? You don't love me, all the stuff. And so, I'd love mm-hmm. for you to walk through like what kind of boundaries need to be set up after that. And then for the spouse who's not looking at porn- pornography, I think I've heard people say like, "There's so much comfort in knowing it's not actually about me." And so, let's talk about that Very a little true. bit. I do, Jamie, just a simple thing. I mean, it's real simple. Imagine a sheet of paper in front of you and you draw a set of stairs walking up. So one is declare what is true. You don't need empirical evidence. Is this normal? What did the stats say? You don't need that. Is Sweetheart, I need to talk to you. Uh, You're not going to gaslight me, which means he knows the truth, what he's done. He's sneaking in porn, looking around. You know it. And he's trying to say, no, I'm not really looking at that. Speak your truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, and say, I'm not okay with you looking at pornography. You don't have to go to judgment. Brene Brown, who lives down the street from you all down there in Houston, that I'm trained under, she talks about in her research, you're either either in empathy or judgment when you're connecting with a person. Trying to understand Mm -hmm. with empathy or you're just judging him. So you say, babe, you know, I'm aware this has gone on or maybe you've confessed or I've discovered you in porn. I want you to let you know that I want to let you know I'm not okay with that. Now, this walk up the stairs versus divorce is uh, I'm not okay with that. And this is going to be real tangible. If you're in pornography, I've Googled and read, says the wife, about what it does to the brain. I will not be sexual with you, nor am I depriving you, but I will not be sexual with you because I've learned what it does to wire a person's brain if you're using pornography. And I want you, because most guys aren't going to be able to really handle this by themselves, I want you to seek out help. I tell people, Jamie, we have more help and hope than you have problems. So we need mm. to seek out somebody in your area or virtually on video, a therapist who can help you sort through this. That's one is to say, I'm not going to stay actively engaged in you when you're bringing in this betrayal, what we call yeah. partner betrayal, betrayal trauma. I'm not going to do that. That's part of that. And I think from there is to say, are you willing to husband? Some guys, they don't know how to do empathy that well. Are you willing to let me let you know what the impact? This is in Lisa's book on forgiveness that I talked about. Fact, impact, fact, impact. Mm. Fact, you're looking at porn. Let me tell you the impact of what it does to me. Now watch post-traumatic stress. What it did in my story, because this boyfriend betrayed me, or maybe my daddy was in it, or I was sexually abused, and guys go, good night, I didn't know all that. Yeah, we're down on what we're not up on. So a woman can Mm. say, let me tell you as a woman how it impacts me and the, the guy can get some empathy on board but often it's going to be pretty quick we need to go talk to somebody often a counselor to help us sort through this a lot of guys are doing that because of unhealed trauma they got addicted if we gave them cocaine at age 12 and tried to get them right. off of it nah they've been yeah. looking at that stuff since 12 and now more than ever. yeah you know when we talked about boundaries about in a marriage and these big things we talked about this a little bit but i think it's that state that step two that you were talking about that i feel like would get a lot of marriages kind of hung up whereas the husband would say okay i'm never going to do this again i'm sorry it's not that big of a deal and she's like okay it's okay and so to me it feels like they would get to that stage two they love each other. He doesn't want to go see a counselor because they want to talk about his mess. She doesn't want to have to like put boundaries and stuff on him. And so then they get there. In your like professional opinion, are they bound to just repeat this over and over again? You were talking about the without f- getting help. The guy, yeah, without getting help. Yeah. yeah what I did, what he didn't work at. And I am a grateful recovering porn addict. I, Jim is. 
So 15 years, 17 years sober now from that, that means I'm not acting out to it. So, um, again, you got to look at it from a compulsion or addiction standpoint, what you don't work out, you'll act out. And a guy will hold a beach ball underwater. They can't see it. You and I can see each other. You see that beach ball mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. If I hold this underwater, you can see it. It comes up like a grenade. That's a grenade right there. Don't worry. It's gutted. Yeah. So what uh-huh. I don't work out and I hold it down or in Jesus name, I just repented or went to promise keepers or a thing and I've committed good, but I have to work through this because it is often a compulsion, if not an addiction. And if I don't do that, I'll just hold my breath for two, three, five months, whatever else, but that beach ball is coming back up. So I want to work through it and find out what is it more than I just choose to go to porn? What am I trying to medicate by going to porn? Usually it's stuff from your past. I almost said crap, yeah. but we're a happy hour. It's Christian. okay. You can say yeah. that here. It's, it's like that, the crap from my past. That's what I'm trying to medicate. Sometimes as a guy, I don't even know it. I need someone to help me see. Oh, that's what you're trying to medicate. Yeah. You know, we talked last week about um, helping our kids with technology. And yeah. As parents, you know, we're all sitting here trying to help our kids yep. function and, and kind of guide themselves through technology. Can you speak to this a little bit with, with parents and children with pornography? And so I, I like to say, you know, I don't think it's when your kids see porn. It's you like right. not if you're it's not if your kid sees porn, it's when they do. Yep. And so we talk very openly a lot at the happier about having conversations with kids, also having grace and compassion and all the things when you do find it, like put on your game face. Um, but what does it look like for parents who are walking through mm. something with a child? Because you've talked pretty like bluntly, like this can become an addiction. Oh, yeah. This can be something that gets in, it alters your brain. So what are you advising parents to do when they find their kids have been looking at pornography? Thank you, Jamie. It's a great question. I get that a lot. And one is really now more than ever. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. That was an old commercial. This ain't back. It, everything Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I went, Solomon, right. eh, there is stuff new <laughs> under the sun. You know, Al Gore invented the internet and everything's changed, right? So right. here's the deal is they need to be aware the average age we're seeing now, if you want to say that average or earliest age of pornography exposure is age four. Everybody on your podcast right now knows this. You know why? Because they might let, I have three grandsons and a granddaughter who lives in Texas. And here's the deal. They're watching a sweet YouTube video. These baby shark, do, 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 you know, your kids are older, but this is grandkids for me. And then people have found ways to slide in. And the kids mm-hmm. stumble into it at grandma or granddaddy's house or at your house, mom and dad. They're just watching fun little children's videos. And down the side here pops up a sexual video. That's exposure. Mm-hmm. Nobody try. Okay. You're not trying to expose your kids. Okay. Right. That's one. Yep. Two, sometimes they do a sleepover and you say, we're not doing that anymore. And at a very young age, you've protected your kids and Johnny or even Susie down the street come down and they bring their little iPhone that they got. And they come in and they've got porn on it and they show it. So you have to, parents need to be aware. It can be stuff like if the kids are coming over, a basket in the kitchen or up by our bedroom, no phones out. Because kids, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's the Lord of the flies. I mean, just kids are going to be kids. Stuff's going to happen. Or parents are sitting there with HBO or Showtime. That's their business. And kids go down at night. They come to my office and tell me that. The kids do. Mm. We're sneaking down. Or they have a PSP or some gaming device. And the parents go, well, we... We've got them blocked off of porn. And I go, no, they've hacked your neighbor's Wi-Fi. And so Mm. you don't even know they're on it. And they're on a little gaming device with Wi-Fi. So we got to get educated and know that and sanitize the environment. Okay. And just be aware. Mm -hmm. And you said this, and I'm totally with you. 
is to not be shocked, oh my word, <clears throat> that they went into pornography. The chances that any of our kids now are not going to be exposed to it, even in the Christian youth group, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So don't be shocked. And then to not freak out, be curious, not furious. If you find out your son or daughter is into porn and say, okay, let's talk about this. Let, and then the last one is to be proactive. If you wait to have sex talk with your kids, Johnny and Susie down the street have already beat you to it and said, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's use words like masturbation. Mm -hmm. Here, you're not showing them how to do it, but you're saying, there's a thing. This is what happens. Your body's going yeah. to awaken. A boy's going to have a wet dream, a nocturnal emission. I've, I had the women in my office, their mom never even warned them about having a period. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that yeah. whole piece is we got to psychoeducate and talk about it. And for us, but that just feels weird. Face the weirdness, get in the arena, and do it again. But be aware of the many nuances. And the kids are all there in junior high age, even now talking about it. They know more stuff than I know. And I'm a certified yeah. sex addiction expert. And I'm going, mm -hmm. how are you all knowing this stuff? Yeah. I have yep. to keep educating myself. Clients will come in, kids, and they'll know more, teenagers, they'll know more about this stuff than I know. And talk on it. Yeah. I'm an expert. Yep. So you got to get ahead of the curve. We talked about that in another podcast that I, that I host with my friend Lisa Whittle. It's called Launch. And we talk about the, on the episode about sexuality. One of the things we mentioned is like, one thing I always want my kids is to not think I don't know things. Because I remember growing up as a child, I just thought, my parents are dorks. They don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> and of course they did. They've been married and having sex, you know, for, you know, oh, 20 yeah. years. Yep. And I just want my kids to know like, oh, mom and dad aren't dumb. Now, there may be slang things. I'm asking my kids all the time. What does this mean when you write this on a text mm -hmm. or whatever? But for them to know, like, we know what these things are and we know what blowjobs are and, you know, anything else that they can fill in the blanks with. We know these terms. We know these words. It helps kids realize, oh, I can talk to my parents. About well, this. you just read my mind. That's that's brilliant on your part, what you just said. And, and I'm glad we have a Vulcan mind meld here from Star, Star Trek because the kids go, OK, OK, maybe I could come talk to mom and dad, not just yeah. mom and dad know a lot. I remember my mm -hmm. son one time came i won't be as graphic as he was appropriately appropriately he came and yeah. said daddy can i ask you a question as a grown college student he said mm -hmm. so and so is going on something something with my body just simple basic biology I mean, teach yeah. biology about about <laughs> prostate and stimulation and morning testosterone's highest in the morning so is cortisol and the boy's laying there with an erection it's like ah! yeah it's like talk to him <laughs> yeah. biology for god's sake and uh, he said, yeah, and I said, he just said, is this normal? And I said, yeah, I remember him saying, my friends think you're weird because I, that I'm weird, that he's weird. He can come to his dad and talk about it if he wanted to, masturbation yeah. or this. We normalized it. So guess what? We can talk about eyes and ears and headaches and nose. We get to the penis. And by the way, folks listening, if you say it's eye, ear, nose, hand, wee, wee, and hoo-hoo, it's a penis and a vagina. We're right there. We're shaming the sexual language. Kids begin to go, I can hang out. And they may not hang out as much as you want them. But they say, we yeah. can talk turkey here about sex. Yes, you can. They'll feel yep. safe. I just it's, want to affirm that, what you said. It is. And it's why like people would be offended. Like, I can't believe you said blowjobs. That's what that is. The, that's uh -huh. the term. If I'm talking to my kids about it, that I'm going to use because I want them to know like, oh, I'm not dummy. I know what this. I'm not going to mm -hmm. use some technical term. Um, J thanks for having this conversation, Jam. I, I love these conversations because I think parents, 
again, not I feel a lot of times I can start to feel like, oh, I missed something or I should feel bad that this happened. And that's not what this is about. Because let me tell you, I have been doing this podcast for seven years and have been talking to parents about talking to their kids about sex as often as I can with guests. And I've got four kids who live in the real world and have real struggles and all the things. And so this is never a shaming thing. It's a like, oh, man, it's an education. Yes. You know, you you know better, you do better. So that's what we hope here. It's no secret that screen time is one of the biggest issues facing families today. So I'm excited to introduce you to Aro, a technology company that has developed the first in-home digital well-being solution designed just for families. Our family is trying to figure this out all the time. A lot of weekends in the month, I take Instagram off my phone. It really helps me not pick up my phone 2,617 times. We have boundaries on our kids' phones, even though they may not like them. You guys remember when we had Heath and Joey on for our boundaries episode in number 537? They're the ones who started RO. They're both fathers, and they really wanted to help solve this problem for their own families. And now you and I get to benefit from this as well. RO leverages the science of habit formation and motivational design to ensure parents and kids don't miss out on what's most important by helping reclaim time spent on their phones. The RO app acts as a guide to help you be more intentional, present, and connected in real life. It reminds us to take breaks from our phones, measures the time you spend away, and it rewards you for that intentional time and gamifies the experience within your household. The app starts measuring your disconnected time as soon as it's placed in the RO home device. The RO at home device, which is beautiful. The design's amazing. I have one at my own house sitting on the counter right now. It holds and charges up to five phones. So the Ivy family is loving our RO box and we're loving the app, which helps us track how much time we're spending away from our phone and then it's giving us rewards and you can play a game within your whole family unlike other app only solutions designed to reduce screen time the ro platform combines an app and a physical device to create distance between you and your phone so you can have quality time without the distraction of your device i'll tell you the number one way we're using this right now in our home is sunday nights we try our hardest to make sure everyone's home and we have a family dinner because with teenagers, guys, you've got to make that happen. So now that we have our RO box, we can put our phones in there. Otherwise, we would just say, hey, guys, everyone off your phone, but your phone is right next to you. This box has helped us so much. The RO monthly membership starts at $15 for an entire family, and that includes the RO home device for free. Reduce your phone usage and join the RO mission at goaro.com. RO is spelled A-R-O, so it's goaro.com, G-O. A-R-O.com. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm to tap into your power and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s, If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? 
Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You you had a really, really great conversation on the cruise. I know you've talked about this a lot with about boundaries being biblical. And that's one of the things I love about the work that you and Lisa and Joel do is you really just bring a lot of these conversations that we all need to have and you bring theology to it yeah. as well. You talked about Nehemiah. I would love if you would go through that a little bit and, sure. and kind of show us the way that Nehemiah uh, had boundaries in his own life. Thank you, Jamie. I'd love to. And this is, man, I just, it's so, pr- I love it when God's word's like, dude, God's like being real. He's going, this is, I'm going to give you a simple thing here. It's not in the best-selling book other than it is in the Bible. This is simple. So you got a lot of history going on in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 5, 6 going on. Here's the deal. There were these naysayers called Sanballat and Tobiah, and they had no right to speak into the Nehemiah and the Jews' life, but they kept trying to attack him and do a mind molestation and, and make them think, you're stupid. You sure you know what you're doing? Nehemiah mm-hmm. 5, 7 is go-to verse. Uh, that I love is Nehemiah. It says just one verse real quick, Nehemiah five, seven. So he says, so he got angry. And then he said, and so I took counsel with myself. So take counsel with yourself folks and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do I have low to no boundaries here? What should I Mm. say here? Oh, stress is when your gut says no, but your mouth says yes. Stress is when your gut says stop, but your mouth says go. So check Mm -hmm. yourself. Nehemiah five, seven, take counsel with yourself and say, what do I need to do here? Now, chapter six, they're there. They rebuilt the walls. It's funny to say there's no breach in it. The walls are finished. And yet he says in parentheses, although we've not yet hung up the door. See, a lot of life is you're rebuilding the walls. You close the breaches. You're healthy. But you got some interior decorating. You got to keep doing that interior work on your soul and your life. And so old Sam Ballot says, we've tried to get you off message and get you out of your boundaries. Nothing's worked. So Sam Ballot changes the the, the uh, kind of attack mode, and he says, Nehemiah, come out here to the plane of Ono that we can have this conversation. Nehemiah says, but I knew they intended to do me harm. You know, I think there are times like, I'm being asked to come into this situation or this conversation. We need to talk. And you're like, I don't feel safe going in. They said, come out here. Let me grab my prop here. Come out here to the plane of Ono so that we can talk. And Nehemiah says, you want me to come to the plane of, to the, the plane of Ono? And he says, N-O-No. That's my no button. You see that? I love and it. So yes. he says, oh, no, I won't come to the plane of Ono. Listen to this line. Sounds smart, Alec, but it's not. It's a boundary. Why should I come down? Because I am doing a great work right now. Why should the work on my life stop while I leave it and come down to you and your BS conversations, basically? <laughs> I he love says, you added I'm that. I'm doing yeah. good work. Little children explain, adults inform and say, I'm not having, don't say we're not having this conversation. No, 
I'm not talking to you about that. They come at him four more times. See, if you're going to have boundaries, you're not going to do a one and done. Four more mm-hmm. times it says they came at him the exact same way. Can we have this conversation? Can we talk? Can we do this? It's only like clickbait to try to get him involved. Nehemiah does something about boundaries that will change your life. It's about the third time Jim's changing his tune. Listen here, you suckers. He didn't. They came at him four times with the same request, and Nehemiah says, and I answered them each time in the exact same manner. Why are mm. you changing your tune, right? Let's see what this one is. No means no. That's my no button. I'm not coming down the fifth time. How many times are you going to test my boundaries? This time they changed it. They came and sent a letter and said, it's reported in Geshem and among all the nations that you Jews, why you rebuilt that wall is you intend to rebel. You are rebuilding the walls so that you can do it for yourself. Not true. You, Nehemiah, I'm going to confront you. You're actually going to do this so you can become king. And you've actually set up prophets all over Austin, Texas, and in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in Jerusalem, prophets to proclaim there is a new king in Jerusalem. That's not at all what he was doing. So he says, now, let's come back out for the fifth time and take counsel together. Let's talk. And Nehemiah knew again they intended to do harm, and he said simply this line quietly. He replied and said, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind, full stop. Listen, no such thing. What you said, that's Mm. not happened. And then don't go on a lecture trying to prove it. What Mm. you said is not true. That has not happened. You've invented them out of your own mind. And Nehemiah said, you see, they wanted to frighten us, thinking that we will stop working on our lives. The work will not be done. But now, oh, God, strengthen my hands. That's what I teach on boundaries is people said, we put up a boundary, baby. And they tried to test it one time. Five times they tested it. Yeah. A manipulating, controlling, unhealthy person has never met a boundary that they like, and they've never met razor wire in your life that they don't want to get across. Quit being surprised mm-hmm. at people trying to get across your boundaries. And then come at them with the same thing, just like Nehemiah And did. then except the fifth time you think, okay, I know he's coming back like a broken record. This time he changed it and said, I'm going to do a mind molestation. I know that's strong language, but I'm going to come. Remember earlier in the passage, they said they tried to cause confusion among the Jews. Mm-hmm. People are going to try to make you think you cray-cray up in there and you're not and say, what are you doing? Is it biblical? Are you sure you're biblical to have bumbles? I don't know. Is your question biblical? People are trying to mess with your mind like somebody maybe did in your past because if it's hysterical, Mm. it's historical. And you go, where is this familiar? And go, no, no. I go vertical. God, this is my truth. This is my boundary. And no more do you ever need, dear listening friend, you never need someone to co-sign your boundary. Check it out with Jamie Mm. and a few good close friends you trust. Mm -hmm. You need a personal board of directors. But after that, a manipulating, controlling person has never met a boundary they like. Never. Mm. I think so many people are probably listening, feeling like I feel seen and known and mm. like heard for the first time because they're in a relationship, whether it be a coworker or a friend or, or heaven for a marriage or a parent child relationship yeah. that is manipulating. And they feel like I, I don't use this term lightly, but they start to feel like, am I the crazy one? Like what is going on yep. here? And I think that your illustration from looking at Nehemiah and how he handled that is so important and relevant to their life right now at this moment. Um, And again, it's easy for you and I to have this conversation, but we can both acknowledge that's not easy to do. It's not easy for me to this day because I am, I know you're not because you're awesome, but I still am a people pleaser. 
I still like, I want people to like me. I'm honest, but I ground myself in the truth and go, you know what? I'm an Enneagram seven. It's like, I go, you know what? That's part of me that wants that, but there's something far deeper that says the Lord Jesus Christ told me that they will hate you more than they hated me. And they put him on a cross. He said, if you walk in the light, I came to bring a sword. I didn't say it. Jesus did. I came to bring Mm -hmm. a sword. If you follow me between a mother and her daughter and mother and daughter line, he's all relationships so if you walk in the light and the truth and you're bumping up against people who are living in the shadow and darkness every parent listening knows if you said no it's time to get up for school and you go in and cut the light on the teenagers turn that light off we're walking and the bible says look jamie and jim and, and aaron and jessica and all of us we are there's one aroma of jesus christ the smell through us is the aroma of life unto life for some people but that same smell is the aroma of death unto death for others. If you walk in the light and the truth, healthy people are only going to bond with healthy. And unhealthy people are only going to bond with unhealthy. So be aware. Mm. They'll hate you if you stay with your boundaries. Jesus told you that would happen. It makes me think when you even say that like healthy people with healthy people and unhealthy with unhealthy. It almost feels like sometimes when we're trying to work on our, our boundaries, because you already said like this is for ourselves. Yeah. It feels like so many times to start working on your boundaries is to start working on yourself you as get well. It. Am I off here? You get it. No, that's the whole piece is to work yeah. on you. Love your neighbor just like you love yourself. You reverse engineer it. That means I got to work on me first or I'm not going to love. I'll be full of codependent people pleasing. And it's like no, I got to work on me. If I get myself healthy, you'll get new eyes. Bible says having eyes to see, some people don't see. Having ears to hear, they don't hear. I'm going to say, God, open my eyes to see. And once I see it, guess what? I can't Mm -hmm. unsee it. But other people are still living under the old contract of old Jamie and old Jim where you co-sign their crap or whatever. You're changing the contract and boundaries. And some people are not going to like it. Sometimes it's your own parents or siblings or whatever. Like, well, what are you doing? I'm not coming home for this holiday. Well, why not? Mm. It's a decision I've made. You owe no one. Remember, children explain, here's why I'm not coming. And and there's And adults inform because this year I'm doing some self-care. A controlling person, manipulating person doesn't want to hear your explanation anyhow. They don't yeah. want to hear it. Yeah. So right. Giving it to them. You can yeah. inform, but that's not explaining. Dr. Cook talked about that on our episode of like so many times when she's seeing patients and they come in and they're like, this is this person, this person, this person, that when they turn that around and start working on them mm-hmm. is when not, I'm not going to say the problem solves itself by any means, but I'm saying they, it's like what you just said, their eyes all of a sudden are like opened up to see, oh, this is a manipulating, controlling relationship that I'm in. And so now I want to set up the boundaries, which I think is so important for people to hear. And with that is sometimes it just takes time to realize, oh, this is what's really going on. And oh, this is what's really happening for me. And I have relational anxiety and I don't really know what to do with all this. And a good therapist, a good friend can help you be able to discern what's really going on. Because that's Proverbs 20, verse five. You see the purposes. Why do I do this? The Mm. purposes in a person's heart are deep waters. And a person of understanding goes down deep to draw them out. That's why we do what we do. We've got to understand because I'm like, well, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Yeah. A lot of people, 
when I hear them talk about stuff like this and like, I think I need to find a counselor, but that feels scary and I don't know how. Where where do you tell people when they're looking to kind of maybe deal with some of their own issues before they even look at boundaries and other people's issues? Where do you you send them? Well, AACC is a group that I've been part of for years, the American Association of Christian Counselors. They have therapists literally all over the world, but that's a starting point. I also have no problem sending them to Google. I have no problem sending them to a good friend saying, hey, do you know someone who's a good counselor? Now in the virtual world, often people can do more distance counseling, but mm-hmm. I think start there. Sometimes they can turn to a good local church and say, most of them have counselors on referral, but find out who is good and then go to Google or anywhere else to look and read, read the bios, go to the therapist website. I have now, and I don't, I don't need more work. I'm saying that humbly, but people come in, they know me. I'm going, how do you know me? And I keep forgetting. They go, I've watched every therapy and theology video. I see your Instagram <laughs> post at Jim Crest, and they're reading and the clips I put out, and I go, oh, they actually do have a pretty good taste of Jimbo before they come in. But there yeah. are things, check out a social media site for a therapist, and those are things you can do. We live in so much of an information age. Just do your due diligence. You'll find someone and pray vertically, yeah. God, guide me to the right person. Yeah. Well, Jim, I knew you'd be the perfect person to close out this series, and I'm I'm super grateful for you uh, and your work that you do uh, with Onsite and with Lisa and Therapy and Theology and everything that you have going on. I'm really grateful that I got to oh, hang out me with too. you and your wow. sweet wife this year. Um, what are you reading these days? Jamie wants to know. Jamie wants to know. We want to know what you're reading. Well, I want to recommend our mutual friend, Allison Cook, who I was just with not terribly long ago, The Best of You. And what she does so much with internal family systems and really getting inside the many parts inside of us. So you can find that on Amazon wherever you get books. Now, this one, you get ready. Here's a book I have called Lead Like a Monk. I've not started reading it, but I'm about to. It's looking at monastic living. And another one here, which is pretty cool, friend recommended, How to Live Like a Monk, Medieval Wisdom for Modern Life. Now, I'm not living truly like a monk, but I'm really, there's so much that people knew in that deeper inner life about slowing down and doing that interior world work to say, what did some of them know? Because I run at a fast pace and I have to perpetually slow myself down. Yeah. So this, the, the wisdom and some of the, the best stuff, seek out the ancient paths, the Bible says. Some of the older stuff, I'm not going to go be a monk, but there I can learn from them. When Aaron and I went to Ireland a couple of years ago, we visited an island that it was not occupied, obviously, at the time since we were visiting, but it had been, I don't know, a residence of monks. I don't even wow. know what it was called, but um, it was very intriguing just to walk around and realize this was a whole different life than us. Yep. And, you know, Aaron says he would love to go spend a month at a monastery. That's my absolute worst nightmare, but he would love that so much. I'm going to call him I and tell him you- Jimbo and Aaron need to go find a monastery because <laughs> there's two of them here in Charlotte area, Mepkin Abbey, which is the people do that. They get away and it may not be a month, but a week and you're in a monastery and it's quiet and slowing down and, so um that's Aaron Ivy would love that. Yes. I'll call him. I would hate it, Jim. I would just be like, Why would you hate it since you it. said it? I, you know, it's funny. Aaron and I are so different. When I wake up in the morning, I start talking to him and I, I, I literally be talking and he'll look at me sometimes and he'll say, you haven't stopped, Jamie. Like since we woke up this morning, you haven't stopped. And I just, I just like communicating with him, and he can go our first three hours on vacation and not yeah. talk. And that is just really weird to me. Um, you have the biblical I don't like metaphor being alone. That he's the Dead Sea, and you're the babbling brook, right? 
I like that. I like that. I don't like being alone. And so I think I I would just feel kind of, you know, but I need it. That's the thing. I need it. Um, Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate everything you're doing. And thanks for coming on the happy hour. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the happy hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you. Every encouragement we get to give you and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivy, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Ashley Miner, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.